0: Thank you, Lord, that our hearts have found a new home in you. And as we've been singing all morning, for you to come. Come, Lord Jesus, in all your fullness. Come now upon us, Lord, and as we look into your word, may you use your word by the power of your spirit to change us, that we might be the church that you've called us to be, the people, the family you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we finish our four-week series on the church. What is the church? And we've been looking at four different metaphors used in the New Testament to describe us as the church. We looked for a couple weeks at the body, because there's a lot in the scriptures about the body. We saw how the church is a spiritual body. It's a body with with the Father, with God is the head. Jesus is the head. And all of us have different parts. All of us are important. All of us are valuable. We're placed in the body by the Holy Spirit, empowered by God to serve one another. We're a spiritual body. And we saw also that we're a growing body. We're meant to always be growing spiritually into the likeness of Christ. And that that growth happens largely because of our relationships with one another, as we learn to speak the truth in love, live out the truth in love with one another. Last week, we looked at the church described as temple, that God wants to make his presence known on earth. But the only way he's chosen to do that, the only way the world can see him is in us. We are the temple. We are the living presence of God on earth. So as we learn to walk with Him and live out the church, what He's called us to do as the church, in community together, right in the middle of the world where God has placed us, in the world but not of the world. As we live that out, we are the temple and people can see who God is because of us, because of who we are. Today we're going to cover two metaphors, family and bride. What do you think of when you think of family? I want you to get a picture in your mind. For most of us, I think, we think of something like this. (laughs) Don't we? This is family. It's a nuclear family. Dad, mom, beaver. (laughs) You know... 2.3 kids, and this is the ideal family. This is the idea that most of us were raised with in kind of the 20th, 21st century world of America. It's not accurate to any of our homes, really. (laughs) None of our homes really live this out. But in a sense, this is our ideal. This is what we think our homes should have been like, even if they weren't. But you add to that definition of family to what our world around us, our culture is now doing, which is redefining family in all kinds of ways. It's only happened in the last couple of years that that kind of family, mom, dad, kids, is no longer the majority of households in the United States. No, most families in the United States, now most households, are less than half traditional homes and more than half single-parent homes, singles living together, couples living together but unmarried, gay couples, etc. Over half of all kids today in America are being raised in homes where the parents have divorced, where there's only one parent there or a remarried situation. And, of course, many of us here in this room have experienced all that. But what does God say about family? You know, what does he say? What's his view of family? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that God wants all of us to change our view of family. Not that the idea of the traditional family is wrong, but I think it's inadequate. Not that the nuclear family is bad. No, it's a wonderful gift from God, but it's inadequate to what God describes family to be. And our job as 21st century believers is not to try to somehow protect or salvage the nuclear family necessarily, but perhaps to go beyond it to something better. I want to challenge you this morning a bit in your thinking. First of all, let's get a bit of biblical perspective on family. The Old Testament view of family was different than the way we think of it, mom, dad, in the home. The Old Testament view of family is much more like this. Okay, it's a family reunion from this summer, my family. I admit it. <laughs> Genie's family. But notice you've got grandparents, kids, aunts, uncles, cousins, small, young, different ages. See, when the Bible talks about family, it's talking about this. Extended family, the whole family together. And in most cultures throughout history, this has been the view of family, not just mom, dad, and kids. It's been all ages joined together, all different generations living together in community. You see it in the Old Testament. Jacob, in his home, what did he live with? He lived with his 12 sons, and they brought their wives in. And he, he with his wives, and... They had grandkids and everything else. When they went into Egypt, it says 70 went, but they weren't counting wives and all the others that had attached themselves to the family. There were well over 100, all living together. You see, the biblical view of family is much bigger. And what's wonderful about an extended family is if you're all living together and you're community together, is you have so much more opportunity To learn and grow together and be around people of all ages and learn from those who are older the wisdom of the years and all those things. So when you're thinking of family biblically, it's much more like this than just a nuclear family like we tend to think of in our culture. What are the benefits of family? Why is family so important in the scriptures? I want to just give you five different thoughts that came to mind about it. One is loyalty. Loyalty. Family provides a place of loyalty where there's a sense of commitment to one another. I'm part of this family. I'm loyal to this family. I experienced this growing up. There were four boys in my family, and we did a lot of sports together with the Raleigh boys. Seven boys in that family. And we'd get together, and we'd have wild football games, and you name it. And the Raleigh boys tended, like most siblings to fight a lot. And we'd stand back and let it go on for a while, and then once in a while we would jump in and try to help one side or the other. <laughs> Guess what happened? <laughs> All seven Raleigh's turned on me. <laughs> because there was a loyalty there. We can fight with one another, but you don't take on one of us. <laughs> you see that's what it is about family. There's a sense that we're committed to one another. We we are for one another There's a protection, a commitment. We're family. And so we show up for vacation times together, etc. You do that because you're family. Okay? Loyalty. Secondly, belonging. Belonging. When you were born, you took on the name of the family. That was your name. You became part of that family. And you never change that until maybe as a woman you get married and you take on a new name to become part of a new family. But see, it's, it, it's part of belonging. We all need a place where we feel like, I belong here. This is home to me. These are the people who know me. And they accept me. And they're for me. They love me. We all need a place where we fit, where we belong, where we have a role to play. That's what family is meant to be, where I am known, where I can be myself, and there's a trust of one another. Loyalty, belonging, third, family should be a place of shelter. Shelter. Life is full of storms and struggles and difficulties. And family means there's a place where I can go, and I know I'll be protected, I'll find support, caring, understanding in an often hostile world. In the midst of suffering and the struggles of life, I can go to family and know that I'm cared for, that people will be there for me. Now, again, we're talking ideal, right? I know what families, most of our families are like in this world. But this is the ideal. This is what God designed family to be. Loyalty, belonging, shelter. Fourth, family is meant to be a school for relationships a school for relationships. Family should be the primary place where we learn about people, where we learn that people are made in God's image and they're wonderful and there's something fabulous about every person in the world because they're made in God's image, no matter how distorted that image might be. But family should also be the place where we learn that everybody's a sinner (laughs) and we all need forgiveness. And we all struggle and we don't love each other very well. We should learn that in family. It should be a place where we learn to get along with people of all ages, of all personalities, of all perspectives, where we learn how to share, where we learn how to set aside our own selfish desires for the sake of the tribe, (laughs) the clan, the family. Where we learn to be intimate, where we learn to forgive, where we learn to love and be loved, where we learn how to work through conflict. That's family. Family is the place where we ought to learn all of that in the extended family environment. And that's why it's so important to have a variety of ages so you learn to get along with all kinds of people, different, different ages. And then fifth, family should be a place where the faith gets passed on where truth gets passed on to the next generation. Where the younger folks can see people living out their faith day to day. And they realize that's what they want to. Even as they struggle, even as they don't do it all right, the faith gets passed on, truth gets taught, truth gets observed. Younger generation can see it lived out, hear it taught, hear it spoken of. And they can learn to make the faith their own. Now this is the ideal... This is what God designed family to be. And in the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, this was the idea of family. The extended family. But throughout Scripture, and certainly in New Testament times, God understood that family was a mess in New Testament times just as much as it is today. There were a lot of divorces, there was a lot of struggle. There was a lot of difficulty, there were a lot of broken families, there were clashes of cultures. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but one of the great tragedies, I guess, of the nativity story is that Mary and Joseph were alone. Where was their extended family? They had to travel all the way to Bethlehem alone, have this baby alone, run to Egypt alone that wasn't God's design. They were alone. For us today, it's very difficult with families, huh? I think the reason we have this view of nuclear family is because we all grew up after the Industrial Revolution, where families started, extended families started breaking up. People had to go to the big city to get jobs. And we're all spread out all over the place, so we don't live together anymore as an extended family. And so. People are going their own direction. They're going their own way. There's family breakdown. And of course, even the nuclear family is breaking down today in all kinds of ways. So most young people today have very little sense of family, little sense of tradition, little sense of what we just talked about, loyalty, belonging, shelter, learning about the faith, learning about relationships learning to be a man and woman of God, how to get along with people of all ages. So it's a tough world we live in. So where can we find family in today's world? Well, I think you know where I'm going. Because in the New Testament, over and over again, we are described as the people of God as family. God's new creation of family is us. Is us. Those things that we were supposed to experience in our extended families, we are now to begin to experience in the church of God, in the family of God. Let's look at God's plan for the family. Look briefly at a couple of passages. I'm looking at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 46 to the end of the Chapter. Interesting passage here. I could have looked at others, but Matthew 12, verse 46 says, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So his mom and brothers show up. We're told elsewhere that they were thinking he was going a little wacko. (laughs) So they decided they were going to come rescue him from himself because he's doing weird things. See, that's what family does. (laughs) They try to protect you. And they were going after him. And they were appealing to the loyalty of the family. Jesus, you're part of our family. Your family, we're here. You have an obligation, you have a commitment to come. Talk to us. Let us take you away. Let us rescue you. Notice what Jesus does. His response is Who is my family? Who is my family? It's as if Jesus is saying, think about it. To whom do I really owe my loyalty in this new age, the age of the kingdom of God? Where should we find our sense of belonging? Who should be our shelter? Where should we learn about life? Where should we be known and know others well? He raises the question. He says, you think those are my family, but who is my family? He's causing us to ask too. (laughs) Is there something greater and more important than our blood relatives, our nuclear family, even our extended family? And then he says this. He gives a whole new definition of family. Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my brother, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's given a new def- definition of family. He says, anyone, male, female, notice he adds sister. He didn't have a sister waiting outside, but he says sisters too are included. Whoever comes under the authority of my heavenly Father, whoever joins the family of God, comes under the Father's headship, submits to him as Father, and begins to walk with him and obey the Father, you become part of the family. You are my family now. Jesus says, essentially, I think, physical family is still important. (laughs) We see that when Jesus was on the cross. He still cared for his mother, Remember, he talked to John, and his mother was standing there, and he said, Behold your mother, John. Behold your son, Mom. He was making sure, as a son, his mother was taken care of. Something interesting there, we know Jesus had a number of brothers. They're mentioned, they're named in the Scripture. But Jesus doesn't ask his physical brothers to care for his mother. He asked John, as part of the new family, as part of the spiritual family. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Because Jesus clearly saw, my new family is the spiritual family, it's the people of God, whoever submits to the Heavenly Father is part of the family of God. There's a higher allegiance than to your blood relatives, Jesus is saying. A closer family than your blood relatives. Now, some of us have family that are Christians, and we can walk with them as spiritual family as well. That's wonderful. But many of us have had to walk away from our physical family if we're going to commit ourselves to Christ. That happened to me to some extent, though I was still family. I had to distance myself in some ways because I was rejected in some ways for my faith. Many of you experienced that. Many Christians throughout the world today to give their lives to Christ means turning their back on their families and their culture and so much. So they know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And many of you have experienced some of that because sometimes turning to Christ can be seen as a betrayal of your family. You know, God recognizes the breakdown in the family in our culture. It's not a surprise to Him. In fact, if you read the Bible closely, all families shown in the Bible are dysfunctional. Have you ever noticed that? Beginning with the first family (laughs) Adam and Eve, their first two sons, one of them killed the other. What a start! to family life. And it just continues from there on, folks. The Bible shows much dysfunction, adultery, murder, multiple wives, sexual addiction, incest, alcoholism, manipulation, control issues, deceit, and on and on. Those are biblical families. So God's not surprised by what happens in our families today, in your family today. That's why he says, begin to see the church as your family. The church is the new society. The church is the new family. Begin to restore God's design, he says, for the family in the family of God. And if you didn't have a healthy home growing up, join the club. Welcome to the club. So what's a biblical family look like? I'm going to show you another picture. I think this is much more what the biblical family looks like. (laughs) A mixture of ages, mixture of races, people all kinds of backgrounds, and yet bonded together because we have one Father. One Father over our family who's helping us learn to walk together and love one another. And I've heard people say, and I understand this, it's hard for me to understand God as a Father because my Father was so bad. I understand that. But you know what you longed for. And that's who your heavenly father is. He is the perfect father who loves you perfectly. It doesn't mean you always understand what he chooses to do. But you, when you come into his leadership, you're adopted into the family, you become part of the family, and you're given a bunch of brothers and sisters from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of races, and now he says, learn to love one another. <laughs> learn to be family together. Because we're bonded together by one Father with one Spirit that lives inside us. And so the blood of the family of God, we're covered by the blood of Christ, becomes thicker than natural blood. Spiritual blood is thicker than natural blood. So God's design is that in the body of Christ, in the church, it's where we learn to love and be loved where we learn to belong, where we learn to find shelter, where we learn to get along with people of all ages, where we learn to forgive, because we're still made in God's image, but we're still sinners. Learning to walk with Him, so we have to learn to forgive and let go of things and be loyal to one another despite all that. To learn to find shelter in the storms of life. So how should we treat each other if we're family? Family. Well, read the New Testament. <laughs> look for all the one anotherings. But I want to look briefly at one passage, just two verses in First Timothy, chapter five, to give us a, a just a brief sense of how we are to treat one another in the body of Christ as family. First Timothy chapter five, verses one and two. You know, we are family. God's made us family, whether we live that way or not. But we're still sinners and we're still struggling to learn to love. God's growing us up as family. Just like in all families, you learn to grow. That's part of God's plan. But my heart for us at Cole, I'll just be honest with you, is that we would learn to live more as the family of God together to be a place where, where we can belong together, where we can care for one another and love each other the way God designed for us to do it. In chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, Paul is speaking to the one he'd mentored for so long, Timothy, and he's helping him grow in his faith and he's helping him live out his faith as a leader in the church. And he's a fairly young man, and he says this to him in chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. He describes the body of Christ, the family, and he says, okay, treat one another as family. Act towards one another As family, we are to have the utmost respect, loyalty, commitment, belonging, inclusion, protection, all the things we should do with family. He says, bring those in. Let those be part of how you relate to one another, that level of commitment to one another. It's true, and I think this was why he had to say this, that when you come to Christ, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. But I think in the early church, people were just treating each other in every which way because we're all equal, it doesn't matter, so I have as much authority as you and, and there wasn't this level of respect. So he says, no, you're still family, so care for family, the family of God, the way you would treat your family, your nuclear family, your blood family. Being equal at the foot of the cross doesn't mean... That we shouldn't treat older people with respect and younger people with respect as well. Two words stand out in these couple of verses. The word exhort in my translation, appeal in New American Standard. Don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him or appeal to him. The word there is, the Greek word is parakaleo, where we get our word paraclete used to describe the Holy Spirit. It's a word that means encourage, can be exhort. It's a word that means to come alongside and encourage somebody in their way. Instill their lives with courage. Help them along their way. And literally what he says here, the translation would be, encourage him as if he were your father, encourage younger men as brothers, encourage older women as mothers, and encourage younger women as sisters. In other words, we're told to treat everybody, no matter what their age is, with encouragement, appropriate to their age, but encouragement. Just take that word and hang on to it for a while. Say, okay, that's what it means to be part of a family, the family of God, is that my job is to encourage others, to encourage them in their walk with God, to enter their lives. It means having a level of intimacy where you're involved in their lives and you're helping them move towards God. You're strengthening their grip on God. This is the primary way we are to act towards one another. You can use other words, love, etc., but he's given a practical word here, encourage. Encourage. We are to be paracletes, encouragers in one another's lives. You know, I've, been, I've begun to pray this prayer more and more often when I go somewhere to meet with people or when I walk into church in the morning. Lord, who do you want me to encourage today? It's a great prayer. Lord, who are you going to bring to me that I can encourage? That I can instill courage in. That I can encourage them in their faith. That I can help them walk closer to you. Your primary calling as part of the family of God is to encourage others. To help them grow. So hang on to that word. We're the family of God. The second word I want to highlight is the last one. Purity. Now, it's emphasizing especially how you treat younger women, but I think we can expand it to how we treat everyone in the body of Christ, in the family of God, with purity. Now, think for a minute. Let me talk to guys especially, but you can expand it, women. But to guys especially, would you fantasize about or flirt with your sister? No way. I wouldn't i got two of them. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) He says, treat every woman in the body of Christ that way. Keep the threshold high. Treat them with respect. Treat them with purity. And I think the encouragement is for us in all our relationships to treat one another with purity. I think in terms of purity of relationship where... If there's hurt feelings you need to forgive, forgive. Keep short accounts. Work through relationships. Don't just walk away. What he's saying is your spiritual family is most, the most important family you have now. It's true. I like the way Ken Fong, a pastor, writes. This is what he says. The nuclear family is not... God's most important institution on earth. It's not the social agent that most significantly forms the character of Christians, nor is it the primary vehicle of God's grace and salvation in a desperate world. The church is God's most important institution on earth. It is the social agent that most significantly shapes and forms the character of Christians. And the church is the primary vehicle of God's grace and salvation for a waiting, watching world. So let me challenge you a bit. We began this whole series with thinking about sometimes we have a wrong view of the church. We see it as a social club or we're consumers and we shop around and we never commit anywhere. Think about that. If that's your view, where are you going deep in a level of commitment of relationship where you're learning to love people that are really different than you? Where are you learning to get along with people of different ages, different races, Where are you learning the things that God wants you to learn as a child of the Father? I want to encourage you to commit somewhere. If you're one of those people who floats around a lot, never really gets in a small group, never commits to relationship, let me challenge you to commit to being part of the family of God. If it means going to another church, please go. Wherever, whether it's here or elsewhere, commit. So you can go deep and be the family that God's called you to be. Well, in our last couple of minutes, I want to talk about our last metaphor. I know we don't have much time. But when you think about family, one of the most important events in any family is a wedding. (laughs) Isn't it? It's a glorious event. I've done probably a hundred weddings at least. But I still get deeply moved when I see the bride show up at the end of the aisle and begin to walk down the aisle. That is a powerful, moving event. There is such glory there. There is such beauty. In fact, I think there's no, no thing that we experience with one another as people more glorious than that. That event. So much has gone into preparing for this moment. The day is finally here. The moment has come. Finally, finally, she gets to be one with her beloved. Beloved. And as we think about that, in biblical times, the way the weddings worked was there'd be this time of preparation. And then finally, when the bride was ready, the bridegroom was, would take his entourage and they would go as a big group and they would go and pick her up from her house and take her to his house. And then they would have a week long celebration. They loved weddings, and they would have a huge celebration. A marvelous time. Huge feast. Everybody loved weddings. Well, in Revelation chapter 19, when you think of us being the bride of Christ, Revelation 19, beginning in verse 7, says this, Let let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. This is a call to celebrate. The wedding day is here. The bride is finally ready. The church is finally ready. And everything's been washed away except the righteous act of the saints. And all that's seen when the bride is seen is the fine linen, righteous, pure, holy. Won't that be a glorious day? And the bride shows up and everybody cries (laughs) because she's so beautiful and glorious. And he says, rejoice. What will be most obvious about us, most visible, will be the righteous things that are left. Everything else will be washed away. Everything will be gone. So, Jesus is spending every day in your life now preparing you for that day, cleansing you, preparing you, changing you, helping you get ready for that day. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples who were so afraid he was leaving? He said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. I go and prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you to where I am. In my father's house, there are many rooms. He's using wedding language there. He's saying, I prepared a place and I will come at the right time when you are ready and I will take you to be home with me forever. Everything you've ever longed for in this world will be fulfilled and it will be glorious. Over in Revelation 21, Verse 9, it says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then the rest of the chapter is all describing this glorious city, the new Jerusalem, glorious, beautiful, in which the saints will dwell. The bride is us dwelling in a city, a place that is full of glory that's way beyond what we can even imagine. Today, we are a body, a temple, a family, (laughs) dysfunctional, (laughs) seeking to live out our faith in a hostile world where we are the visible presence of God. It's awesome. It's hard. It's a struggle. Learning to love is hard. It's a lot like being engaged. You know, engagement's a pain. Uh, you're, you can't consummate your relationship, but you look forward to it, and it's hard, and you've got to plan, and all of this engagement's hard. We're engaged right now, folks, but we look forward to that wedding day when we will be with him forever, and we will finally be the beautiful bride he created us to be. That's our destiny, and he's shaping us into something so glorious it can't even be described well in the Bible. And our destiny is complete and perfect union with him as his bride. A place where everything we've struggled with will be washed away. And you want to hear something really amazing? Over in Romans chapter 8, it says this. Chapter 8, verse 19 says this. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The creation waits in eager expectation. What it's saying is, think about creation and the glory of creation, a beautiful sunrise, beautiful sunset. All of creation, the beauty of the mountains and the ocean, all of that's nothing compared to what God is making us, His bride, His church, the glory that He is instilling in us. Even creation goes, I can't wait for that day. is going to be so marvelous when I get to see the people of God in all their righteousness finally in the presence of Jesus their beloved. What a marvelous day that will be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the great hope we have to be your bride. While we're here, Lord, help us learn to be family together, to love one another, to encourage one another, to be pure in our relationships but to be committed and, and learn what family means together to, to help one another in this journey of life as we see culture around us breaking down. Help us be the family of God. Help us here at Cole learn to love each other better, that we might be your family. And Lord, help us live with that hope of being your bride. Help us look forward to that marvelous day when we will be fully yours and fully beautiful and glorious and righteous. We thank you for that hope in Jesus' name. Amen.